the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up, farmers came to Canberra today to send a message that renewable energy makes farmers more money and also some survey results. It'll be a bit surprising about farmers, what farmers think about renewables and also about uh, climate change risks on their farm as well. And cattle sales, well, they've returned to the Northern Rivers Livestock Exchange in Casino for the first time in seven months. I thought it went really well, Kim. The stock all looked really well. It was well supported by, by the vendors. The whole pre-sale process seemed to go really well. The agents were ready nice and early, uh, had the cattle really well presented and I think the market paid dividends for them. It's, um, it's been really strong here today. We'll hear more about the cattle sales returning to casino shortly and we'll also look at the rainfall figures as well. Uh, we, fuel efficiency, some changes to that too in the federal government. You might have some thoughts on that. We'll hear about that as well. You can always uh, make comments on any of the stories you hear on the program. 0467922684 is the number to text me here at the Country Hour. Well, more summer rains have been a welcome sight in many parts of far northern, New, northwestern New South Wales at Fort Grey in the Sturt Desert National Park, 450 kilometres north of Broken Hill. Some native species have resurfaced at a time that they aren't usually seen. Ecologist for the Wild Deserts Project at Fort Grey in the Sturt National Park, Dr Rebecca West, spoke to Lily McCure about the excitement of the rains and also the flow-on effects for native species and grasses. So the rain started for us uh, late Sunday afternoon and then um, really picked up overnight and we've just measured 94 millimetres this morning. How is that? Are you pretty happy with that downpour? Uh, We are very ecstatic. We are like small excited children when you get that amount of rain and um, just the the system and being able to hear the rain on the tin roof and the wind out there, it just, um, yeah, it makes the whole family very excited. Did you get the rains that we had a few weeks ago? Yeah, we, we missed out here on the rains in January, early in January, that a lot of other people got. So, um, yeah, we're really pleased to get this. Um, it was looking quite dry out here in comparison to some places a bit further east and south of us. And it's probably still looking quite wet at the moment. Obviously, you've just had the rain. What have you sort of noticed since the rains have come? So at the moment, we've still got actually um, rain on the roof and, and winds picking up. So, yeah, we're still feeling um, ex-cyclone Kiralee here. But um, we've been out for a big paddle around the yard this morning. So the kids have had their gumboots on and enjoying splashing in puddles, which for desert children is actually a pretty rare experience. And, um, yeah, myself and my husband, Reese are also ecologists. And so we're really excited because we can hear the calls of the burrowing frogs. Um, already out and about and enjoying this rain. So, yeah, those guys will um, burrow down into the sand dunes out here and sit down there for months or years just waiting for a big enough rainfall event um, and then they come back up to the surface. And so, yeah, you can hear them calling and imagine that they're just singing and so happy that the rain's fallen at this time and, um, and that they can come out and enjoy it too. Wow, so are you going to be seeing them around a bit more when you sort of normally wouldn't? Yeah, so we we expect that a rainfall like this and the timing of this rainfall, so in the warm months, will probably trigger them to breed. So, um, yeah, there'll be lots of calling over the next few days while they all try and find mates. And obviously for them, um, it's pretty urgent because they haven't been able to breed for um, quite a few few months. We haven't had a rain like this here since um, 2022. 
so yeah, they'll be they'll be calling away and finding their mates, and then yeah, trying to get their eggs laid so that they can hopefully get their tadpoles um, out and um, grown into adults before all the water dries up. Are you expecting that you'll see some other sort of animals come out and enjoy this water? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, rain in the desert obviously brings um, about lots of different changes. So um, we often see water birds that you wouldn't normally expect to see in in the desert. So lots of the ducks come to to use the water here. We get pelicans, um, you know, we get lots of grebes and things like that. So that's really exciting. Um, And we also see lots of birds um, rock up. So all the birds that, um, yeah, move around Australia a lot following these great rainfall patterns um, we'll expect to see here in the next few months as well. And these burrowing frogs, do you think that they'll sort of stick around for a little while after these rains? Yeah, so the burrowing frogs will, will come out, they'll um, do their thing, and then yeah, as it starts to dry, dry up, they dig their burrows back down under the sand. Um, they make a sort of membrane around themselves, and then they'll just sit there, and we call it Eastervate. So it's a bit like a hibernation, but it, it's not quite hibernating, and they'll just sit down there, shut themselves down, and wait for the next rain. So yeah, I think we'll, get, we'll see these frogs out and about for the next few months, certainly, and then, yeah, their time to, to head back down underground will come, unfortunately. Were you thinking that you'd see, see the frogs out and about sort of at this time of year? No, so um, unless you've got rain, you won't see them in the desert. So um, despite being, some people would say, the most abundant vertebrate in the desert, you don't see them unless you've got the rain. So, um, yeah, no, we're really excited. It's a great opportunity. Um, We can learn lots about them um, while they're up above the surface um, and, and, yeah, sort of, yeah, watch how they go over the next, next few months. Ecologist for the Wild Deserts Project at Fort Grey in Sturt National Park. Talk to Rebecca West, talking there to Lily McCure. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's 11 minutes past 12. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. You might have some thoughts about uh, this story. You can always send us a text, 0467 The federal government revealed yesterday they'll introduce laws that will set fuel efficiency standards for new vehicles sold in Australia. Australia and Russia are the only developed countries that don't yet have fuel standards like Europe and the United States. Under the new laws, all new cars must reduce their carbon emissions by 2028 or manufacturers will face a penalty. But the opposition has accused the government of being heavy-handed and says it will drive utes off Australian roads. Federal Transport Minister Catherine King told ABC's AM it will make vehicle ownership cheaper and be better for the health of the community. By 2028, we should see that drivers are paying a lot less for their petrol because we will have more efficient cars in our market. $1,000 on average per car per year is the modelling that we have done, the savings that are there for consumers. Uh, We know that, and and it's not just about fuel savings, but they are the immediate cost of living uh, relief uh, for people in terms of these efficiency standards, but it also does a few other things. Obviously, it's good for the environment. But it's also really good for human health. We know that there are significant impacts, significant respiratory diseases that come from having cars that are higher emitting. And so reducing that's good for that. It's also really good for fuel security because it actually reduces uh, the country's reliance on uh, a number of cars that we have that are using more petrol than we really should be using because they're not as efficient as they could be. Do any of the top 10 selling models on the market in Australia at the moment meet this new standard? Really what this is about is a 
across the entire fleet that a manufacturer has. And so what this focuses on is saying to those manufacturers, when you're making decisions about what cars you will bring to the Australian market, and again, that's whether they are internal combustion engine cars, diesel cars, uh, hybrid or electric vehicles, across your entire fleet, you need to meet these targets. And so uh, that's... China has standards, Japan has standards, New Zealand, US, EU. Uh, we're one of the few countries that doesn't alongside Russia and that our market's not prioritised for those most efficient vehicles. But do any of the top 10 at the moment meet the new standard? So what the car manufacturers need to do is actually look at the entirety of their fleet. Uh, They get credits for ones that are over the target, debits for ones that are below, and then they look at that across the entire fleet. It acts as an incentive. uh, And as I said, the um, way in which this works is it provides that opportunity for car manufacturers to make the decisions about bringing more efficient vehicles here into the Australian market. Federal Transport Minister Catherine King King speaking there to Sabra Lane. Uh, Talking about the rainfall, we were talking about it earlier. Dave has texted in from Trundle to say only got a meagre 1.5 millimetres of rain from the two thunderstorms last night. But he says at least that putrid heat has gone away today. It's uh, coming up to uh, 14 minutes past 12 on the New South Wales Country Hour. Well, cattle sales have returned to the Northern Rivers Livestock Exchange in Casino for the first time in seven months. Armadale-based Outcross Agri-Services was awarded the tender to operate the facility by Richmond Valley Council for the next five years. And ahead of the first prime cattle sale back on Wednesday, a store sale was held last Friday with 1,850 head yarded. Kim Honan was there and spoke to Outcross's Managing Director, Tom Newsom, who says everyone across the board is happy to be back. I thought it went really well, Kim. The stock all looked really well. It was well supported by, by the vendors. The whole pre-sale process seemed to go really well. The agents were ready nice and early, uh, had the cattle really well presented and I think the market paid dividends for them. It's, um, it's been really strong here today. So has it been pretty smooth, the, the takeover of the facility or is there anything that needs to be ironed out yet? Well, touch wood, Kim. <laughs> we haven't finished weighing yet, so, yeah, without jumping too far ahead, it's, it's actually been surprisingly smooth. We've often started up at different sale yards around the country. Often the first sale is a bit bumpy as we, you know, get systems in place and people get used to, to the way we do things, but it's been incredibly smooth. We've found it relatively easy to get some really good quality staff um, that are, are experienced and... Yeah, so far so good. We're really happy with how it's going. What are the extra fees that both agents and producers will see from today going on? Yeah, so on the vendor side, we, we've increased fees 5%, which is a nominal increase, but when we consider inflation, it's actually a, it's not keeping up with inflation. So really, from, a, um, from that perspective, there's, there's no significant difference from a vendor's perspective. The agents' uh, structure of their fees have changed, so it's a 0.2% on the agents' gross, gross revenue. So that has increased a bit from the agents, from around about a uh, dollar to somewhere around a dollar eighty, depending on the price of stock. We've also put in a scanning fee because the top 15 to 20 say yards all use modern information management sort of methods that stem from pre-sale pen scanning. So. We put pre-sale pen scanning in place and that flows through with efficiencies across the board. Uh, so there's $1.18 fee for that. And who pays that? 
that fee, I think it's either the agent or the vendor, I'm not actually certain um, in that regard. We've tried to share the fees a bit, so we've had to take over the whole dipping, so you know that's five extra labour units that we didn't budget on for uh, probably eight hours a day at least. Um, the DPI are transitioning out of that, um, we're taking on more and more responsibility, um, so there's more delivery fees on the buyer's side that helps share the load yeah that's pretty well it it's um it's really the the delivery fee and then just the normal hay feeding sort of fees so so was there any consultation with producers about those changes at all yeah so we we deal with the agents in the first instance but they have a vendor panel of um producers that they work with and um you know they those vendors are there to represent the interest of the vendors in the same way as buyer reps are there to, even though it might be um, six or seven buyers, they're there to represent the buyer's interest. And as we go forward, we'll put together a um, advisory committee of all the major stakeholders, and that will mean each group, vendors, buyers, transporters, agents, um, people with a, a commercial interest in what goes on here will have a forum so they can... Uh, provide advice and and view their um, you know put forward their points of view and uh, I think that's you know the consultation's a really important piece. And will council be on that committee? Uh, probably not at this stage. Um, council are taking an arm's length approach. They're obviously the owner of the facility. Um, you know and they they should be proud of it. It's a it's a great facility um, in what we've got to work with. Um, but going forward, it's really us as the say and operator with a consultative committee of all those other major stakeholders, but probably not council at this stage. So can you say how much you pay to lease the facility, or is that uh, confidential? Yeah, that's commercial in confidence. Um, we're bound by confidentiality, and but it was a, it was a significant amount. Um, we've got a lot of skin in the game here and a lot of incentive to do as good a job as we can to you know, recoup that, and the way we can do that is by attracting a lot of stock uh, through the facility, uh, doing a really good job for, for buyers and, and vendors and, and make it so people are happy to do business here. Talking about the situation of that first sale, Tom Newsom, who's the Managing Director of Outcross Agri-Services, speaking to Kim Honand uh, at NRLX on uh, Friday for George uh, uh, for uh, the George and Foreman's store sale. Let's get some uh, reaction uh, to that sale. Managing Director Darren Perkins says there was strong buyer activity on the day. Well, I think um, the vendors were very happy, you know, considering it was only sort of less than sort of eight, not eight or ten weeks ago, we were seeing cattle make um, very, very minimal amounts to um, a big catch-up. But, you know, at the end of the day... Um, that we're selling to a lot of producers that have had a, a bit of a tough time, um, but there's been a lot of strong um, activity there from Queensland, not only Queensland, but northwestern New South Wales, and, you know, the um, feedlot support and backgrounders was very strong, but that's been seen all over the country this week once again. Well, it has been a challenging time for the local cattle industry with uh, the facility here closed for the last seven months. Is it good to be back here? Or do you have mixed feelings about that? Oh, look, at the end of the day, Kim, um, this is a very, um, very good facility and it was a shame it was closed for so long. Um, Lismore was a very good um, operational um, centre for us over there and we've got to be very grateful for what they did. 
Um, at the end of the day, we've um, come in through all the negotiations that we're back here at um, the um, Casino Sayard set up and, um, you know, we'll see how we go forward from there. Darren Perkins, Managing Director of George and Foreman. Among the buyers at the first sale back at NRLX was Mark Meyer from Take It Easy Meat Co., a paddock-to-plate butcher and meat processor at Mwollomba. Prices were not too bad. I got about 30. got a property at Tenerfield. There's a bit of grass there at the moment, so we'll take advantage of that while it's there. And so how much did you pay for the 30? I've probably spent 40-odd thousand. Yeah, yeah. So prices are a bit too high today, do you oh, they'll think? They'll be okay. They'll be okay for what we, what we do, so we can get a return by uh, killing them. So. And so how long do you reckon you'll have them on grass there before you do? Oh, the calves. The calves probably three or four months, yeah, and then the cows will stay until we get low on grass again. So you mainly bought cows and calves? Yeah, bought all cows and calves, all heifers in calf. And where have you been buying for the last seven months? Um, out of Lismore or Warwick or Wollombar sale, yeah. And is it good to be back here today? Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure. And so when you sell through the butchers, you yep. market it as your, your own cattle? Correct, yeah. And do you think uh, consumers buy from you because it's your cattle? We only serve restaurants oh, okay. at this stage, yeah. So they all know that we supply uh, our own meat and we buy lamb as well every week out of Warwick. So we, we buy you know, quite a bit of product for the restaurant trade. Mark Meyer from Take It Easy Meat Company at Mwollombar in the Tweed Valley talking there to Kim Honan. It's uh, coming up to 23 minutes past 12. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello, I'm Sally Sara. Join me for The World Today. Ben Robert Smith launches an appeal in the federal court to overturn his defamation loss. Can he clear his name? For the first time in more than a century, Northern Ireland will be led by a nationalist as a senior member of Sinn Féin is appointed as First Minister. And spy ships in the Middle East. Is Iran using cargo vessels to coordinate attacks in the Red Sea? Those stories and much more coming up this lunchtime on The World Today. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Farmers and rural communities across Australia have endured unprecedented tough times in recent years, facing fires, droughts, floods, volatile market conditions, and uh, recently staring down the barrel of an unpredictable El Nino forecast. A new campaign from specialist mental health support charity TX is urging farmers to uh, uh, to uh, uh, not be shy about seeking help in regards to mental health support. These uh, events uh, that we're talking about can impact on both business performance and also mental well-being. So the TX campaign aims to start conversations and remind people that professional support is available and just a text message or a phone call away. TX is supported by the philanthropic body, the MacDoc Foundation. Jason Banks is the co-CEO of TX and he said last year was pretty tough for a lot of people on the land and uh, he's urging them not to keep it under their hats. Well, um, as you say, we're a, a support service there for blue-collar workers, tradies, truckies, farmers, for all Australians, blue-collar Australians around Australia. And, um, you know, what we've seen in the last 12 months is a significant increase in farmers and those working on the land reaching out to our service. And, and it's a good thing they're reaching out. I want to put that across. It's a positive thing when people are actually reaching out to be able to get the support they need. And uh, we had the fortunate 
with a organization called the MacDoc Foundation come to us late last year and sort of said, hey, you know, we can really see that, you know, the farmers and the rural, what they're coming up against with the weather and the isolation and really the access that they have to get um, available services like ours um, to get them back on track. So they came to us and said, hey, we want to be able to give you some support. Um, so we've partnered with the MacDoc Foundation to be able to release a new campaign um, to target hardworking Australians living on the land. And I guess the thing is it's free and it's available and it's tech service or counselling service or, or telephone service. And the, the sense is that uh, people who are maybe not willing to go to the doctor will at least pick up the phone. Yeah, definitely. You know, we, we're a call tech service um, straight through to a professional. Uh, we operate Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., but, you know, we're, that's pretty much a lot of the available hours that people have the access to. And uh, it's really simple. You know, someone can just send us a text. You know, they could be having a rough day. You know, they could be going through a bit of a rough patch of the, the last week or they see some rough times ahead with, um, you know, with the weather and the financial impacts that they may be experiencing on the land, um, reach out and have a chat to somebody. We really need to break down these barriers that it is okay not to be okay and when you really need that support and you haven't got a support crew around you to have a chat, um, reach out to our service at TX and uh, have a chat to one of our team. And important, obviously, feeling that there's not enough free services out there, so that's where the philanthropy came in and they said, we can give you some dollars to help you with that. Yeah, correct. And I think it's not just the the free services. I think it's um, people that live in rural and remote areas just don't have the access to services. You know, they've either got to turn drive uh, hundreds of kilometres to get to their local town and then try to see a GP or even see if there's someone locally that as a professional that they can chat to. So, you know, our service is available Australia-wide and, um, you know, they could be sitting in the back of the ute, they could be sitting on the tractor, they could be sitting, you know, in the homestead and they can have a chat to one of our team to get their their head back on track. And that's why the campaign is called Don't Keep It Under Your Hat. Um, If you think about someone living on the land, their number one tool of their trade is a hat. Um, And there's a lot of head noise that probably sits under that hat and that hat's probably seen lots of stories and can talk lots of stories around the impacts that um, people living on the land have got to endure. How is it different to Lifeline, say? Yeah, so Lifeline do an amazing job, um, but they're probably more pushed to the scale of crisis care, Um, you know, where where service like TX is really, you know, that time where you just feel a little bit off, you you might be having a bit of a rough time um, and you just need someone to chat. You know, we always know when we're going through a tough time, just chatting to somebody we just get that you know that pressure just releases off our shoulders and we feel better for it so we're sort of really at the early start of the 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 mental health journey um but amazing organization lifeline you know look after the team that are reaching out that may be experiencing that crisis care and is this a referral service too if you think someone really is in danger can you refer them on yeah, definitely. Probably if they're in danger, or you, we, we would refer them on to more crisis support. But sure. you know, there's four there's four reasons why people would reach out to TX. Hey, we just need a tune up. You know, like our trusty old Ute, we might need a bit of a tune up with the head. Um, you know, reach out and have a chat to the team. We offer multiple sessions for free um, to those working in the industry. Um, you might be a loved one or a, or a mate of somebody that's struggling. You just don't know how to navigate them through getting the support or just navigate them through having a chat with them reach out to TX and and our team will actually have a chat and give that support person some tips and tricks 
um, or you know you may be struggling yourself and that you just need that um, to get some the head noise out and just get a get somebody to chat to because you might not have the opportunity to talk to a mate you might not have the opportunity to talk to a family member because you could be isolated um, it's as simple as sending a text like that's how easy it is it's a real simple and it's free and it's confidential and then you provide a number of free services or sessions or whatever I guess the other thing is a lot of the uh, a lot of these issues are tied up with drugs and alcohol how do you deal with that when you think oh I think this problem's got a got a problem with with uh, alcohol or drugs yeah, so the team, uh, uh, our team at TX are fully trained counsellors, so they'll guide them through. And we've also got a great referral network. Uh, we've got some great partners out there, like Sober in the country, um, that do an amazing job with alcohol um, within the rural areas of Australia. But often, people, what we want people to do is before, if they are you know, having that issue with alcohol, um, before you pick up that drink, maybe just pick up the phone and have a chat to one of the team. And, um, you know, don't think of going to the bottle, think about going to the phone and um, using a service like ours. And how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, simple, really simple. You can call or text um, 04888-469-88 or head over to www.tiax.org that's t-i-a-c-s dot org um, and all the information's there for you to be able to get easy access and we've got the professional team waiting to take your text or call but don't wait just do it today if you really need to you know get that mind back on track and think about TX as being you're sort of your personal trainer for your mental fitness so hopefully this is a conversation starter for many that's correct, and that's what it's all about. It's just having a conversation, and you know, often we get asked, or the councils get asked, you know, what's it like when I reach out to a service like TX? And one of our councillors said one day that um, all we're going to do is just have a conversation, and we might go a little bit deeper than what you might do with one of your mates or a loved one, but it really is just a conversation. Jason Banks is the co-CEO of TX, which stands for This Is A Conversation Starter. Uh, and if uh, you are seeking some mental health support, that number to call or text uh, TX is uh, 04888-469-88. 488 For more details or text or uh, phone call counselling service, you can, you're listening to The Country Hour. It's coming up to 29 minutes to one. Shortly we'll have some weather details. But before we do that, let's find out what's happening in the news. Adam Story is here. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Michael. Um, remember we heard uh, the uh, inquiry in, uh, into uh, the floods heard of uh, people uh, complaining about their treatment by the insurance companies uh, up in the north. Well, the insurance council has faced that inquiry today and it says it's not proud to hear of how policyholders have been treated in the wake of the floods. Uh, it's uh, the uh, independent MP, Andrew G uh, asked about uh, what people described as being gaslit, ghosted and lied by insurance companies. And the council's chief executive, Andrew Hall, has told the hearing he's sorry the industry has let down customers. I think there was evidence, uh, people gave evidence of insurance companies turning up and sort of blaming the owner for the state of disrepair of the house to begin with, even before the floods. Uh, I think that's where the, the gaslighting uh, came in. Mm. Anyway. No. Uh, no. no. <laughs> uh, federal police have been berated at a parliamentary inquiry. This is after this is a case in, uh, in Victoria. Uh, undercover officers apparently attempted to radicalise, further radicalise a 13-year-old autistic boy before arresting him on terrorism charges. 
Uh, now, the Victorian Children's Court dismissed the case last year, saying the conduct of police fell profoundly short of the amendment standard. And the AFP uh, Deputy Commissioner Ian McCartney defended the handling of the case, saying the boy was already well radicalised. Um, but uh, the Greens MP, David Shoebridge, uh, said that... Uh, accused the AFP of attempting uh, to encouraging him to become a sniper and a suicide bomber um, as part of this further radicalisation. It's it's just a bizarre mm. a, a bizarre story. It's uh, like something out of a spy novel. Yeah, e- exactly. Yeah, um, but yeah, the commissioners uh, defended the handling of it, and uh, apparently no one being held accountable. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another construction company gone to the wall. This one is St Hillier's. It's been placed into voluntary administ- administration. It's halted work on multi-million dollar development projects around Australia. Uh, it had uh, contracts uh, with Defence, um, along with uh, commercial developments in Newcastle, Sydney and the Central Coast. Uh, the legislation for the tax changes will be introduced to Parliament tomorrow. Opposition still deciding whether to back it, uh, although indications are uh, that they will. And Kylie's won a Grammy <laughs> uh, for Best Pop Dance Recording uh, for Padam Padam. Uh, One of your I'll, favourites. I have to admit, I haven't even heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's her second Grammy and first win in 18 years. And the Beatles won uh, for that oh, right. AI well, was it the song? I think the song was AI, but the, the video uh, that was manufactured song. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've heard the Kylie I, song once or twice. Oh, have but, you? Yeah, uh, we'll yeah. see you more. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about that. <laughs> you got kids. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, thanks for that, Adam. All right, uh, and we'll see who else. When the Grammy's still going, probably. So, we'll uh, yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll uh, I'll update you tomorrow. <laughs> Interested? <laughs> oh yeah, fascinated. Yeah. yeah, as you can tell. Thanks for that, Adam. Love an award. <laughs> Awards galore. It's uh, our Kylie. It's coming up to twenty-five minutes to one here on the country. Let's find out what's happening with the weather details. Stephen Stefanak at the bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. We heard about quite a bit of rain around the Broken Hill area and uh, quite a few millimetres there. So there's uh, obviously some rain around, but mainly in the, the far west, far northwest. Far northwest, the heaviest fall in the 24 hours to 9am this morning, Fort Grey with 100 millimetres. And that's just west-northwest of Tibberborough. And Tibberborough itself, 80 mil- 79 millimetres. Um, but other parts of the state too have been quite wet. Um, and the falls have, although not everywhere out west, it's a fairly widespread area which extends from the northwest through kind of central uh, parts down into the southeast of the state. So places in the southeast like uh, Crookwell, um, I think you see, is it Crookwell? Yeah, yeah. In the... uh, 46 millimetres, yep. 51 millimetres, sorry, in the 24 hours of 9am this morning, and Taralga, 46 millimetres nearby there. Crookwell on the way down to Canberra, yep. And since 9am, rain's still falling in the northwest of the state. Uh, we see 48 millimetres at White Cliffs from 9am to 12pm today. Gee, they've had a lot of rain at White Cliffs recently. They, they, would, they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. Yeah, that, that's quite, quite a bit of rainfall, and, uh, but other locations nearby there are uh, receiving similar similar falls, I imagine, if we had rain gauges everywhere, but mm. uh, yeah, very wet. I can imagine there'd be quite a bit of grass growing in the pastoral area as a result of all that. And uh, is that going to peter out or is that moving further across the state? What's happening? 
Well, in the next um, 12 to 24 hours, it will start to gradually, from later this evening, contract away from the west and, and shift its focus into the south southeast. So we expect to see further um, rainfall to continue overnight, at least in southeastern parts of the state, including the ACT and some of the southern parts of the coast. And... Um, yeah, for many many locations, as this rain comes through, at least 10 to 20 millimetres for a lot of locations out west and in that southeastern corner of the state. Uh, but we're going to see some heavier falls as well in the northwest today. Potentially another 70 to 100 millimetres. Isolated falls, though, with severe thunderstorms, could reach up to 100 150 millimetres. They'll only be very isolated, though. Mm. And as um, heading to the southeast, maybe taper off a bit in its in its heaviness, but um, will still be very wet nevertheless. Um, so that will eventually then contract away on, on, on tomorrow and uh, we'll still have some showers and thunderstorms lingering about parts of the east of the state tomorrow, and mostly contracting to the northeast. Uh, but that rain band, which is currently streaming through, mostly tapering off by Tuesday. By, by tomorrow afternoon. And that heat has now sort of um, uh, dissipated throughout the state or there's still some some hot spots around yeah, the, just, maybe on the coast, I guess? Yeah, still still pretty hot out there. Pretty pretty much in the central east and on the northern coast, so like locations like the Hunter, mid-north coast, we still have that extreme to possibly severe heat wave condition. Um, severe to possibly extreme heat wave conditions in that part of the world. So... That will continue at least uh, through overnight tonight. Again, this is going to be another warm night for many locations, another warm and balmy night, um, contributing to that heat wave. And, um, but that subtly, then a subtly change comes through milder conditions, spreading with this rain band, and then a subtly change which comes through. And that should penetrate the northeast pretty much, the far northeast by, by Wednesday. So by Wednesday, we'll start this, those heat wave conditions should start at least we'll see a noticeable difference in heat wave tapering off. Okay. Stephen, all right, thanks for that. You're welcome. Bye. It's 21 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Farmers came to Canberra today to send a message that renewable energy makes farmers money as Farmers for Climate Action released polling showing widespread support for renewables in the regions. Regional polling of about 700 residents across Queensland, the Hunter and Illawarra, uh, Illawarra conducted for climate Farmers for Climate Action found that uh, regional Australians said the biggest threat to farming in their local region were increased fires and floods driven by climate change, also commercial conduct by big supermarket chains and increasing cost of insurance and fertiliser and other inputs. Another survey found only 1% of farmers saw transmission lines as a great threat to their farm and around about 1% saw renewables as a threat, but more than 55% of farmers nominated climate change as the great threat to their farm in the future. Tony Inder is a merino breeder and wool producer from the Wellington area. He says uh, in his experience uh, it is that uh, in farming in and around solar panels it's actually boosted his productivity and income. Panels and sheep go really well together. As a wool production, yeah, you, you'll grow more wool under panels than you did prior. And you, the rainfall's not a problem? No, no, the rainfall's good. Um, yeah, every bit of rain helps. It, it, actually, we've increased our carrying capacity under the panels compared to what we had before. And why is that, do you think? Well, I think every time we get a, a 5 or 10 mil fall that doesn't do a lot, it actually runs off the panel, and depending whether it falls in the morning or the afternoon, 
actually creates growth underneath. And then the actual panels themselves create shade. So days like, well, these last few days, um, they're fully shaded. So it's still green as green underneath. And in, in wintertime, you actually get a, a shelter effect from the sheep with just a, just a windbreak. And do you think that helps in wool production? Well, I certainly do. I mean, we can, I, can, I can back it up. We've got a control mob on our property with no panels, and they're, they're run separately. And then each year when we shear them, their wool results are compared against those under the panels, and the sheep under the panels are miles and miles in front. And what, what do you mean, what, uh, staple strength and uh, just... Staple strength, staple length. I think I think it's because they're under the panels and they've got an even plane of nutrition right throughout the year. They don't get the fluctuation in in dry and and, and wet seasons. Um, I think that helps with the tensile strength because their plane of nutrition is just even right through. And then in turn, you've got a longer length and you've got a um, a sounder staple, which in turn um, creates more money with stronger newtons. And you think that, yeah, so you think that the, the, the shelter from the sun and the wind in winter, you think that helps? Oh, it definitely helps. Panel sheep are happy sheep. And you used to own the property uh, where the panels are. You've, you've sold it recently, but you're still, you're still in, in the, the wall game and you still uh, want to have sheep um, underneath those panels on that same property. Yeah, we, yeah that we will. So our neighbour sold to a solar farm. Once it was constructed, we put sheep under it as the neighbours. Since then, we've sold our property to the same solar farm. And once it's finished construction, we'll put sheep under there. We've purchased another property about 50 kilometres away where we run our commercial flock. And then, um, yeah, well, then we just run sheep under the panels. Yeah, as a wool production. A lot of people talk about these panels as creating heat and they say they stunt grass growth but that hasn't been your experience well certainly not and i don't know a lot about solar panels but i thought the idea of them was to absorb the heat that's what they create that's how they create the energy so certainly not it certainly didn't feel like 40 degrees under the panels yesterday when i was there with the sheep and it is green as green compared to the rest of the district that hayed off quite significantly and what about your neighbor your other neighbors are they happy with the solar farms or is there a bit of consternation about them uh, certainly when we saw, initially signed up, um, I did request that I approach my neighbours. I wanted it to come from me, not from them. And I approached all the neighbours and um, I only had positive feedback at that stage. Yeah, and since then it's only been positive from the neighbours. And is there any sort of community benefit, like is there funds from the, the solar company that goes into the town of Wellington? C- certainly there's benefits in the contract workers that are in and around there fixing things that, and uh, and the... Well, the staff that are working there full time is far more than there was, and and the way I look at it is, it's producing more wool than it used to, uh, as well as supporting uh, four full time employees plus contract workers. And you reckon you you get a benefit, bottom line benefit from the wool production improvements? Yeah, certainly, certainly. And I think the benefit from the solar farm point of view, uh, initially they were budgeting on on mowing um, six times a year, at, at a cost of ninety thousand a hit. And and that's been reduced to two because the sheep so, eat it. Because the sheep eat it, so mm. it's a it's a it's a win win. And what about the transmission lines? Are they get, is the tra- is the electricity going into Dubbo and Wellington? Uh, the tra- the line goes directly into the substation of Wellington, which in turn uh, heads over the central coasters, I believe. Right. So there is. The, what about the lines? Then people worried about you know getting the the power out of your district and elsewhere. To be honest, I know most of the blokes that where the transgrid went in, went in a few years ago, and they were more than happy to have it come through. 
What, because they get it? The, the financial gains, yeah. So they, were, they were happy with the money that they get paid? Yeah, yeah, they're happy with the money they got paid. And in all honesty, you, you turn a PowerPoint on, you, it's got to come from somewhere. And you didn't, they didn't feel as though it impeded their farming operation? Well, I had some farmers' wins that it went through their neighbours and not theirs, so I suppose that might answer that. <laughs> so they weren't getting the benefit of it, the money. Well, that's, that's probably more the, more the complaints, I would have thought. Tony Ender is a merino breeder and wool producer from Wellington, talking about renewables and solar panels, and, uh, and the sheep, he says, uh, do better under the solar panels, and there's more grass, and uh, rainfall is uh, increasing productivity and profitability. It's a quarter to one here on the Country Hour. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Before we uh, head to get some market information, uh, let's take a stop by the Tamworth Livestock Selling Centre where 12,000 sheep are expected to be yarded today. Well, selling is going to get underway for that later on this afternoon. But Lara Webster spoke with agent Andrew Bloomfield to find out what's behind the yarding, which is three times the weekly average for Tamworth's normal sheep sale. Look, I think I think what's driving the numbers at the moment is it's a little bit unique that the New England's probably the southern part of the New England and, and the Tamworth area are probably getting a bit dry and hot, and then the rest of the states, you know, in pretty good stead really for rainfall. So we're probably just seeing a little influx here just due to local conditions, really. Yeah. So, I mean, where are the majority of these sheep from then? You mentioned parts of the New England that are drier than others. Where where do a lot seem to be coming from? Oh, I think through that sort of Urala Walker district, mm. you know, but and then uh, obviously there's sheep from around the Tamworth area as well coming in. But it seems to be a big number of stall lambs here today that's really pushed the numbers up. People at this time of year, everyone sells their stall lambs. So, and, and probably that weather condition mm. is pushing that just a bit harder at the moment. Yeah. So what are you expecting then to see in terms of demand? We know the last few weeks since markets started, I think when I've checked prices have doubled on what we saw at the end of last year or, or a bit more. What do you expect to see in demand though when you do have a big yarding here but you also have some people who aren't doing as well seasonally either? Yeah, look, it'll be interesting. I think, I think you know, last week Wagga yarded about 80,000 and, and the demand was very good for most categories of the stock. You know, the, obviously the secondary tops took a little bit of a hit down there on those numbers, but I'd imagine the same here today. The good stock will still sell well and the, and the lighter ones will struggle a bit, yeah. So what are the sort of average prices you're seeing at the moment, particularly when you look back on your last sale last year to what you're seeing in these first few weeks? Yeah, it's considerably increased. It's, uh, it's more than doubled, especially in the lambs. Um, and it's you know probably just post Christmas there was the peak of it, but it's backed off a little bit since then. But it, it seems to have found a level there at the minute, and it's poking along pretty well. So your good lambs are still 170 to 200, and a few better than that if they're big lambs. And your store lambs have been, you know, sitting around that sort of 80 and 90 dollars for your good stores. And yeah. So with that demand, where are you expecting to see a lot of these sheep to go today? Uh, I imagine some of those better areas in parts of the New England Northwest they'll be buying up. But where else, particularly when you know on parts of the tablelands we are getting quite quite dry? Yeah, I think I'd expect most of these sheep to go south. I reckon. Mm. Yeah, you've got uh, you know a pretty incredible season down through the Central West. So guys that have got loosen and irrigation stuff down there are really capitalising probably on that reduction. In, you know, for the store lambs especially, you know, if they can buy them at that $80 mark, well, they're, they're pretty comfortable to dive in and, and have a go. And they've got the feed and the season down there and we back them at the moment, so they're, yeah, they're into it, yeah. So that figure of, you know, 12,000 as you and I stand here now, uh, a big sale for us, a very big sale for us. As you say, down south, 
easily see tens of thousands week on week. But for us to see that many sheep here at Tamworth, you know, when we probably three to six thousand is a good number for us. Uh, what what do those numbers look like? When was the last time you would have seen that kind of yarning? Uh, I'm just trying to think, but it's probably you probably went back into the you know 18 and 19 again. You know that that's when we saw the bigger numbers, and it's the offload. You know seasonal conditions that drive it predominantly. It's yeah, how it rolls. Andrew Bloomfield from Pitt Sons at Walker speaking to Lara Webster, and uh, you'll hear more about that yarding on the Rural Report tomorrow. It's uh, coming up to 11 minutes to one. Well, before we go to markets, if you've ever yelled out, Rufus a ram has died around the family dining table, then you know the board game Squatter. It launched at the Royal Melbourne Show in 1962 and gave players the opportunity to win at the business of running your own sheep station. It went on to be one of Australia's, uh, of course, most uh, successful board games of all time, with more than 700,000 copies sold. Richard Lloyd is the son of uh, squatter creator Bob Lloyd, and Richard spoke to the ABC's Connor Burke about his memories of the game's creation. I was six years old when he actually came home with, with the idea for squatter. Over the next few years, um, I can remember Dad preparing the prototype, I can remember him sitting there with a gem razor blade and a, a, a ruler, a wooden ruler. And uh, on, the, on the squatter board, the, uh, each property is divided up into paddocks. And on his prototype, he'd cut out strips of cardboard that were possibly about one millimetre wide and he glued those down onto his prototype board. That was the... Um, meticulous manner in which he sort of put together the board, the the, the game and uh, and the board. But that was done over a two-year period. So 1956, he came up with the idea. Mm. He sat down, wrote out the whole concept of the game in one night. And then over the next months and probably the next two years, he built the prototype and tested it. That, and he tested it with us. I was probably about... Uh, seven or eight by the time I was playing the game full on um, and we played that prototype amongst our family, uh, my cousins and so on. We really thoroughly enjoyed playing the game. Why a game, do you think? There's two thoughts that come to my head. The first one, Dad hated Monopoly and I don't know if you're allowed to say that. He, he didn't like the game because people were pushed out of the game. He hated that idea of playing and then the only way you could win was to, to defeat everyone rather than winning your own merit. We would uh, commonly play cards. Mum, mum was a very avid card player. Uh, we used to play 500 and uh, cribbage and all the other kid, kids' games. You play snap and, and so on, uh, rickety-kate. Dad didn't enjoy cards so much. He, he would play along with it to make up the numbers but he more preferred games like Ludo and the game we had was called Sorry which is similar to a Ludo type of game um, Chinese checkers, drafts they were uh, household pastimes for us and uh, I suppose it was around that era that developing a game was a fairly logical thing for him to come up with 
That's Richard Lloyd speaking about the AB, uh, speaking to the ABC's Connor Burke about Squatter, and you can see uh, and read about it, and also see some of the original prototype images on abc.net.au/riverina. Time for markets. <laughs> First up, let's go to Bendigo Sheep and Lambs. Good afternoon. Erratic sale here today with prices coming off by $10 to $20 over a lot of lambs, although there was some exceptions. Some of the best nuggety-shaped trade lambs still sold firm, as did some of the best export lambs that weren't overly big. There was a lot more weight today in the export run and what was evident is buyers were reluctant to go over about $250 per head regardless of weight and the heaviest lambs today were up around 38-40 kilos carcass weight. Just two pens of export lambs sold over $260 to a top of $264. Most 30 kilo plus lambs from $206 to $245. The average still hovering around $700 cents but there was sales down to around $660 cents a kilo. All the other trade and heavy trade lamb categories averaged under seven bucks today, most tracking between six sixty and six ninety cents. The twenty six to thirty kilo lambs one seventy four to two eighteen, the twenty four to twenty six one hundred and sixty two to one hundred and eighty five, and the twenty two to twenty four kilos one hundred and forty eight to one hundred and seventy. There was plenty of trade lambs, including unshorn sucker types, down into the low six hundred cent price range. Less store lamb competition and light lambs were cheaper, better frame types $80 to $130. Sheep sale also lost $10 to $20 and sometimes more on the heaviest ewes as the market was generally dragged back under $100 per head. Crossbred ewes $75 to $97. Light and trade sheep did hold up better. Jenny Kelly for MLA. Coral with sheep and lambs. Good afternoon. Agents penned 14,320 sheep and lambs for a very good quality yarding. Most regular processors were present with the absence of two major domestic buyers. Restockers stepped back into the ring today. Trends were firm to softer across the lamb run and lifted across some mutton categories. Sean heavy trade lambs slipped 12 to 14 dollars 150 to 200 dollars heavy lambs were unchanged 170 to 226 extra heavy export types eased 10 dollars 208 to 244 new season heavy trade lambs eased 6 dollars selling from 163 to 175 with the light new season lambs the processors selling to softer trends from 86 to 123. Restockers paid from 88 to 128 for lambs back to the paddock. Heavy merino ewes gained $8, selling from 99 to 212, and heavy crossbred ewes 79 to 101. Trade sheep gained 3 to $8, selling from 71 to $89. I'm Caroline Ronald for MLA at Corowa. Let's go to Dubbo Sheep and Lambs now. Good afternoon. There was a surge in numbers to 21,600 lambs. The quality remains mixed and there was a good selection of trade and heavy lambs through the sale. There was also plenty of hoggets. The market is selling to similar prices to last week despite the larger, larger yarding. Light lambs to 18 kilos have sold to $115 a head. The prime trades 22 to 24 kilos, 138 to 165, 24 to 26, 156 to 178 and they average 660 to 700 cents. Heavy weights to 30 kilos, 170 to 2 10 and extra heavies are reached $222, averaging $670 to $710. There's still plenty of prime lambs to come. The best of the heavy hoggets reached $165. The balance of the lambs and 17,000 head of mutton is still to be sold. And this has been Graham Richard. Let's go to Wagga Cattle now. 
Good afternoon. The Volga cattle sale continued its impressive run across some of the feeder steer categories in a much bigger yarding of 5,800. More feedlots entered the fray and dominated the sale over most categories. An extra few feedlot buyers helped lift prices 12 cents for steers 400 to 500 kilo. The bulk of the well-bred steers selling at 335 to 375. Lightweight feeder steers topped at 385 to average 1220. Trade cattle under 500 kilo are limited a few heifers selling at three dollars to 320. there have been some excellent lines of feeder heifers sold with prices firm to four easier medium weights making 290 to 345 heavy cattle prices have softened 10 to 20 cents with processors not willing to chase the market heavy steers and bullocks selling at 290 to 327 heavy feeder steers are making 295 to 372. A big group of processors are all keen for a share of the 1100 cows with prices unchanged to a shade dearer for plainer types. Heavy cows selling at 270 to 294. I'm Leanne Ducks for MLE. Let's go to Forbes cattle now. Numbers jumped this sale with agents yarding 1,843 head. Quality was mixed with both well-finished and feeder cattle penned. There's some good lines of well-bred cattle on offer along with the secondary types and there was an extra buyer present competing in a dearer market. Yearling steers to feed showed the biggest change, jumping 25 to 30 cents and more to sell from 294 to 402 cents a kilo. Those to processors were 6 cents better to receive from 294 to 326. The heifer portion was 10 cents dearer with feeders paying from 270 to 339, those to processors ranging from 260 to 320. Heavy steers and bullocks lifted 10 cents, selling from 280 to 314. Grown heifers sold from 250 to 304. Cows were 4 to 10 cents dearer with heavy two score from 242 to 268, three score from 260 to 276. This has been Crystal Ridley at Forbes from LA. And finally to Tamworth cattle now. Good afternoon. The continuing high demand for cattle attracted plenty, with the largest penning since the end of the drought, 3,500 presented. A good quality penning of yearlings, suitable to feed, and a large offering of cows. The full field of regular buyers were in attendance. Not a lot of negatives in the market trends, where quality was behind any price change. Dearer trends for the medium and heavy yearlings steers upwards of 20 cents a kilo, with medium weights 360 to 406, the heavy weights to 480 kilos, 300 to 396 cents while the heavier weight three three hundred and eighty cents a kilo medium and heavy yearling heifers to feed were up to ten cents dearer two ninety to three forty six heavy trade a shade cheaper two fifty to three twenty seven little bit quality related price change the heavy ground steers to process three scores two eighty to three thirty well finished ground heifers a little cheaper two eighty to three hundred cents cows of any description keenly sought and slightly dearer with two score medium weights one seventy to two forty eight and the heavy three and four schools 240 to 284 cents a kilo. James Armitage for MLA in Tamworth. And that's the market information for today and the last word goes to Kate who says uh, she remembers the game squatter. She used to chew the heads off the plastic sheep. She was pretty young at the time. You're listening to the Country Hour. It's time for the news.